0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben standing I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It's Thursday evening. I am back in the DMV, having been in... Mobile, Alabama, for the Senior Bowl this week. But as we know, that foiled a very, 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 very distant second to what was going on with the Commanders, who, who now have a new head coach, Dan Quinn. Uh, the two sides have agreed to terms. The Dallas Cowboys, or former Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator, is the call. He will have a press conference, we believe, on Monday, and uh, what a journey to get here! <laughs> I mean, it was it was a it was a roller coaster ride to say the least with Ben Johnson, uh, Mike McDonald involved, uh, Adam Peters' first chance at making a GM hire. Quite the journey, so I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, in addition, my guy Matt, Matt Paris, of course. He used to cover the team for the Washington Times, is now in, down in New Orleans, but he was in Mobile, so I uh, took advantage of him being there to discuss, we, we talked at that point prior to the Dan Quinn hire, so we talked primarily about, you know, what did we make of the Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald situations, it was Washington putting themselves in a bad spot, also got Matt's view on sort of watching what happened at the end of the year from afar. So always a good conversation with Matt. So we'll get to that in a moment here on the podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Also, I will answer some of your questions. I asked for mail uh, for mailbag questions on Twitter today. I will answer some of those at the end of the podcast. Um, on The Athletic today, in addition to a story about Dan Quinn getting hired, I have a story up about uh, the potential uh coordinators that they could look at offense defense special teams and which of the people currently on uh the staff who maybe could stay to, uh and i also threw in one special wrinkle uh some, one one out of the box thought i had about somebody joining the the new staff all right so let's get to this here quickly um uh, and by the way, apologies for not putting up more other, other podcasts this week. Obviously, it's been a lot going on. The timing is just kind of weird at these events uh, because uh, you go to cover the game or the practices. Then by the time you get done, there's a short window to like, get like work done, writing or podcasting, because then the goal is to go out afterwards. And I don't mean that in like a, hey, I'm going to go party way. But part of the reason you go to these events is the whole league is there executives coaches agents uh others that were in the in the league and you know you, you you hey introduce yourself try to get to talk to them try to see what information you know you can get and obviously there weren't a lot of washington people there uh coaches were not there their front office uh martin mayhew was there there were some there were scouts there of course but not you know there were no um main figures out and about adam peters Did make it down there on Wednesday uh, and today uh, did see him at the event. But like in terms of just, um, you know, having that social time, you know, that didn't happen. But there was still a lot of opportunities to talk to people around the league. And so anyway, my point is that I'm not complaining, but the days are long. But you also have to get up early to go to the practices and it just became hard. But then when every day, the story changed, right? Tuesday. Ben Johnson, he says, Nope, I'm staying. Well, that became a huge deal. What happened there? Um, Matt and I talked about that, and I, I do want to talk about that more, and I will um, in, a, in a future podcast. But obviously, he tells them while they're on a plane flying to Detroit that he is out. Uh, I, I will just say that in talking to people around the league, independent of whether, you know, Washington. Uh, you know, independent of what whether anybody thinks of the what they ultimately did, people were kind of aghast at how Ben Johnson and his agent handled the situation. If you if you don't want to be a coach, fine, you know. But you know they're flying out to Detroit to talk to you. You sit in that meeting and you listen to them. And then when it's over, if you say, Hey, look, I've listened to it, I've thought about it, and I don't want to do any of this, that's fine. But to to completely, uh, to to not even sit there and have the meeting when they're coming. Uh, I think a lot of people in the league are going to take a long, long time to consider. Or let me, let me, let me rephrase that. I think a lot of people in the league are going to really take a side-eye look at Ben Johnson the next time something comes up. Of course, you're going to consider the play, the the play calling and the abilities that he that he possesses. But you know, there's a professionalism to the situation, and um, and it's not just him. You know, he's got an agent, and his agent's got a job to do, and um, the client let the agent do the job. And, um, you know, if he's not interested in being a head coach, I don't think that's a that's not a negative. But between the fact that he may not be that guy and then simultaneously to have rejected Washington and Seattle in that way, uh, I, I think it took a lot of people a, a back. So we'll see what happens with Ben Johnson in the future. I'm imagining that future will not have anything to do with Washington. Um then the Mike McDonald situation happened. I, I think that one's a little, a little more interesting. I do just think that Mike McDonald, for me, it, it made perfect sense that he would go to Seattle. He's a defensive coach. Seattle's defensive talent is far superior to Washington's. Uh, he specifically did very well this year against teams in that sort of Shanahan offense, uh including against the 49ers, a couple games against the Texans, and one in the, play, including one in the playoffs against Bobby Slowick, uh, Mike McDaniel, and others. And he, uh, you know, the Ravens had the best defense in the league this year. So, you know, he's the youngest coach in the league now. We will see how he does. But I understand why he didn't go to um, Washington or why he picked Seattle, which all leads to Dan Quinn. And the question that I know so many of you have is, did Washington get its – Second or third choice here rather than what they really wanted, and it's a great question. Um, you know, first of all, with Dan Quinn, well, okay, I'll just say this I, I don't, you know, it, it, when, when you talk to different people, you know, everybody's giving their spin, even if it's not view, even if it's not actual spin, they're just telling you what they think, either because they're directly involved or because. They have a, they, you know, they they talk to people who are involved, or they have a feeling, or hey, I think they should have done this. Therefore, my explanation is going to lean in that direction. Or if somebody's defending anything that happened, hey, um, this is why I think, you know, this this occurred. I don't know that I think Dan Quinn was their number one target, but I think the question is, was this interview process real, right? Because the first interview process with Adam Peters. You know, look the 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 whispers were out there that Adam Peters was the one to beat, and that ultimately he was the one to beat. He was that's the guy they went and got. He didn't take interviews with other people. You know, you guys have heard me say for a couple weeks now. I I think that Ben Johnson is the one to beat, but only because there is nothing else being discussed. And I think all the people got caught up in this echo chamber of. Of of people just repeating the same information, this game of telephone, because the commanders were very quiet throughout this entire process. Uh, From my understanding, Seattle was very quiet throughout their process. And so since there was no information, people just kind of took off with what they thought. And all anybody kept hearing was Ben Johnson. And when you saw people like Boomer Esiason go on TV and said it's a lock, that is when I began to really think to myself, this is something else is going on here. Obviously, We saw what the something else was. Um, And, you know, uh, I don't want to go back to the Ben Johnson thing, but like, you know, were his demands too high? Did he really just want to stay with his family? You know, what happened there? Um, We'll get to more about that later. But my point, though, is that I don't think this interview process was perfunctory. I think they... Genuinely, were doing this interview process to figure out what they wanted to do. You know, this was the first one that Adam Peters has been in, right? In 2017, he goes to the Niners, but he was, you know, in the personnel department. He wasn't high up enough to be involved, and also he got hired by Kyle Shanahan, who was a, a new coach then, or you know, by John Lynch, you know, with Kyle Shanahan running the show. So he wasn't involved in that. This is the first time he has done this, and I know I was having people. Uh, text, text me today. Hey, is uh, Adam Peters like uh, get over his head? What's going on? I, you know, time will tell. But I do think that this was a real. I mean, you had a first-time GM and first-time ownership, NFL ownership at least, going through this process. Obviously, Josh Harris has interviewed and hired many people um, with his other with his other teams. And then you had Bob Myers as part of the search committee. He has obviously been involved in these situations as well. But Adam Peters, this, you know, a lot obviously has got to be going on on him. He's the one you're bringing in to really set the scene here on the football side. So, I think it was a le- a real process. And I think because of that, it allowed them to learn some good things about these candidates and maybe some things that made them rethink it. Now, in the case of Ben Johnson, I think he just... The whole situation blew up before they had to make a decision, but I do think that, as a couple people said to me, that maybe they lucked out, because if he's going to pull the Josh McDaniels, but in advance, right, when Josh McDaniels leaves the Colts, uh, he, he, he agrees to go to the Colts and says, nah, I get Colts' feet, and goes back to the Patriots, uh, was that, in 2018? You know, I, you don't want that to happen, so I think they learned a lot about Ben Johnson, and you know can I say definitively they learned a lot about him prior to him doing that, that they already had an inkling that maybe he wasn't, that, that he wasn't really in, up for this, that he didn't really want to do this. I can't tell you that definitively, but the more people I talked to over the last you know few days, you know, there's a lot more of like, you know, kind of had a sense that this could happen, that Ben Johnson's just not that guy. Um, he wants to like sort of stay in his room and, and and make plays and not necessarily stand in front of a locker room of of, of players and and get them riled up the way, obviously, a Dan Campbell can, or Ron Rivera was good at that. But this all brings it back to Dan Campbell. And, you know, when I ask people around the league, what do you think? There's no necessary reason for them to say, um, to, to, to make anything up. All right. They can just speak the truth. It doesn't, you know, we're just talking on the side. I'm not quoting them. Uh, Pretty much universally, everybody really seems to like the Dan Campbell hire or or at least more specifically, they like Dan Campbell, the coach, the leader and the person that he is. um, You know, I've I've seen everybody making these Ron Rivera comparisons and it is kind of funny. I'm not going to lie when you say you have. Coach who was in who who, whose first head coaching job was in the NFC South. He led a team to a Super Bowl, or they lost in the game. Um, He's more he's viewed more of that leader of men type than some tactician. All those kinds of things. But I think that is where the comparison goes away. Um, You know, in in talking to people who've been around Dan Quinn, either you know on the same staff or played for him, you know, there's this talk of the energy that he brings. There's this talk of, um, you know, just how he connects with his players. Look, from a coaching perspective, you know, Dallas was one of the bottom three, four, five defenses in the league the year before he got there. In the three years since, Dallas led the league in takeaways in 2021 and 2022. They've been, this year, they were a top five defense in, in numerous categories. Now, obviously, we all get what happened and why the perception has taken a big hit because of that terrible Green Bay loss in which uh, he, um, you know, I mean, the, the defense, this guy, Dallas defense got absolutely smoked. They lose 48-32, but they were trailing. Uh, you know, Green Bay was winning, I should say, by by 32 points. And, you know, it was another Shanahan offense. I saw a stat, and I have not confirmed this, but a stat that said that uh, Dallas was 0-6 against Shanahan offenses in the three years. So we'll see, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a perfect hire. But I think he's – it seems to me he's going – he's an organized leader. And I don't think he is – you know, as somebody said to me, and I don't disagree with this, that Ron, as he kind of said to us at the end of the year, that he is more of a manager, whereas Dan Quinn is a guy who's going to be much more involved. Now, I don't 100% know if Dan Quinn is going to be calling plays. We'll see. Uh, the rumor, The rumor mill has – his uh, one of his defensive coaches, uh, Joe Witt Jr., uh, becoming the defensive coordinator, or at least he's like the leading candidate. You know that type of deal. We will see. Nothing's been announced yet. They have, you know, we haven't even heard definitively about them having um, interviews. Um, specifically, Witt, by the way, is the passing game coordinator and secondary coach for Dallas. Um, again, Dallas has had very good success the last. Few years defensively, uh, I would imagine the Cowboys are going to want to probably try to keep him. Dallas has a few co- coaches on their staff who might make sense for them um, as a replacement for Quinn. Um, so, again, I have a story up about potential candidates. So you can check that out uh, for uh, on the website. Um, you know, I I try to look back at, at, at the Ron Rivera situation and. You know, again, there's, you know, b- by the way, another comparison both of these guys have basically 500, uh, percent, you know, 500 career records. Dan- Ron Rivera uh, is currently one game under 500. Dan Quinn is one game over 500. Look, a lot of Dan Quinn's success in Atlanta came when he hired Kyle Shanahan as offensive coordinator. And it's funny, if you look at that 2016 staff, it's like the 2013 Redskins staff. Shanahan, Mike, uh Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, um Raheem Morris is in there. So there's a lot of people from the from that staff. And it's a question about Dan Quinn, right? I mean, was his the most success he had because of Kyle Shanahan, or was it because of um you know the Dan, you know Dan Quinn's own ability. You know it's not it's not enough to hire people, but you got to also help them succeed. And obviously, they did. And by the way, maybe that's a reason. Maybe we all overlooked this from the beginning, right? Adam Peters just w- worked the last you know four or five years with Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan uh, went to a Super Bowl with Dan Quinn. Obviously, they they lost the infamous twenty eight to three lead and fell to the to the Patriots. But you know. I would imagine that Kyle Shanahan said very nice things about Dan Quinn to Peters. And, and that's why also like I don't believe that it's like some lock that the, he that Ben Johnson was definitively the number one guy. Um, so we'll see. I, I think, you know, I I, I want to keep an open mind about this. I've used this analogy before, but when Scott Brooks got hired by the Wizards, um you know, look he had taken OKC to the, to the NBA finals. He generally was viewed as a very uh, nice guy. He was always raved about by media types. But you also heard people who who covered the team and others who questioned things. His substitution patterns. He just really didn't seem to have a grasp of, of 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 lineups to use and some other things. I kept that all in the back of my head and I wanted to see for myself and I watched the first year and it was it was that first year where they had uh, They already had March and Gortat, but that offseason, you know, who was a big burly center, very effective. And then at offseason, their big splashy move ended up being signing another center, Jan Mahimi, to a four-year, $64 million contract. And the immediate wonder was, well, I guess they're trading Gortat because you can't play these two together. But they didn't do that. And it didn't make any sense to me as to what happened. But then early in the season, I was on the road. Uh, I was, uh, they were playing Orlando and for whatever the reason, I was like the only reporter talk uh, like local reporter talking to Brooks before the game. So I used that at time to ask him some questions that I was really curious about. One of them was kind of, why did you go get Jan Mihimi when he and Marcin Gortat really can't play together? You're kind of having these two guys who kind of can only play apart from each other. And Scott Brooks said to me, well, I uh, I didn't realize how Martin Gortat was how good Martin Gortat was, which kind of blew my mind because Martin Gortat, you know, he he'd never made I don't think he ever made an All Star game, no, he didn't. But Martin Gortat was really good. I mean, a, a very important backbone for that team with John Wall, Bradley Beal. He has a you know a there's a Gortat pick uh, that, that's named for him that's so effective. He was a really good rebounder. He, you know, basically never got hurt. And I couldn't believe myself that this guy, this coach, somehow couldn't didn't understand this. Now, so in any event, I quickly began to sour on Scott Brooks, and over time, obviously, that proved to be a, an accurate assessment. Um, I think with Rivera, it was a little more of a slow burn. Not that the first year here was that great, but they did rally late. They finished seven and nine, despite a crazy year in which, obviously, the COVID, Rivera has cancer, all the Uh, allegations and accusations of harassment in the building with Dan Snyder, all that. So you're like, wow, seven and nine, they make the playoffs. There's an uptick. But then obviously by next year, things went south, you know, kind of went sideways from there. And over time, I started to have more and more questions. So I will see. I'm going to go into this with an open mind. I hear the questions. I hear the concerns. But I am willing to see what what Dan Quinn can do before I would make any judgments. Um, And I think, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I would encourage that as well. Like I said, I've talked to enough people who really think that he's the kind of guy, you know, he's not going to do it alone. They're going to have to nail the number two pick with, uh if they take a quarterback or whatever they do with it, whether they trade it or take a quarterback or whatever, you've got to nail that, right? So uh I, I do believe... um that it's, you know, it's interesting enough. And, and you know, look, I, one thing I do wonder about this roster, I think we're all pretty down on the talent right now. What, is it, what happens when a new coaching staff gets a hold of them? I mean, I, you know, you know I think one of the big mistakes they made last year was when Chris Harris left to go to the Titans, that they just promoted Brett Wieselmeyer. And I don't want to keep piling on Wieselmeyer because I've mentioned this before. But, you know, here was a guy who three years prior was, coaching on the high school level, and now he's leading this defensive backroom that had a lot of promising players. And that entire room really seemed to take a step back last year. You know, they gave up more explosive passes than any team in the league, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let's see what Dan Quinn does. Who does he hire? Who does he bring in? What does that staff do? And how does Dan Quinn's energy and uh, culture building, all that, how does that change things? Does it get you know more out of John Allen and Daron Payne than we saw last year? Does it turn Emmanuel Forbes into uh, the guy that people thought was worthy of being a first-round pick? Um, you know, and kind of go from there. So uh, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, in in that regard. And we'll see, uh, obviously, where things go. He's going to have to make some big hires here coming up, again, for the, for the coordinator spots as well as the overall coaching staff. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be a very, very, very big element uh, to all this, without a doubt. And here's a, here's another thing I was, I've been thinking about. You know, we're all doing the same thing. I'm sure you at home are doing this as well. If you're interested in the idea of who would Dan Quinn bring on, now that we know who it did to him, who would he bring on as a coach, right, or as a, a coordinator? And we do, we all play the same game because it's, okay, who does he know? Who on the Dallas staff would possibly be someone that that he might want to bring over? on his previous staffs, uh, wherever he's been, whether it was Seattle when they won Super Bowl, Atlanta, whatever it might be. And if we play that enough and he did all that, it would be very similar to what Ron Rivera did, right? Where Ron Rivera brings in the Commanders, they have all these coaches, right? But here's the difference for me. Even if Dan Quinn brought in every single coach, every coach he brings into somebody he worked with, Adam Peters is there. As well, and Adam Peters did not work with Dan Quinn. Adam Peters is a check on the whole system in ways that Ron Rivera never had one. Ron Rivera brought in Marty Herney, who was his guy in Carolina. You know, Martin Mayhew was technically the GM, but as you, you know, if you read my story, sort of putting a uh, a bow on this on the, the Rivera era, you know, there was a lot of confusion in that front office that Marty Herney ultimately sort of was given. Uh, had had the bigger voice, and uh, along with Rivera, who had the personnel say, my point is that all those people, to a degree, were beholden on Rivera in ways that this isn't the case. Adam Peters is part of the group that hired Dan Quinn, uh, so again, I don't. We'll see ultimately what happens here with Dan Quinn in terms of who he brings in, but that is a big difference. Also, Dan Quinn is not calling personnel. I should have maybe led with that. Ron Rivera did. Dan Quinn is not doing that. Needless to say, a coach will have uh, an input uh, you know, in, in what's going to transpire, but he's not doing that, whereas Ron Rivera was. So, you know, Dan Quinn should be able to just focus on football and not have to worry about all these other things, even if some form of crises happen. You know, he has to deal with the players in the locker room and his staff, but other people in the building will be the ones focusing on how to whatever this hypothetical scenario is. So I I would just say that I, you know, I understand for those who wanted them to get Ben Johnson specifically, or at least an offensive minded coach. I totally get that. I have heard all the reasonings, you know, if you have a really good offensive coach, then you don't have to worry about replacing him every year. Versus if you have a defensive coach, then an offensive coordinator with success would, you know, leaves and you have to replace him all the time. If there gets to a point where somebody wants to poach Dan Quinn's offensive coordinator, that means things went pretty well. And this pie is the place that where things haven't gone pretty well in 20 years, <laughs> right? So I'm not I, I'm not too worried about that. You know, John Harbaugh has replaced tons of different coordinators in Baltimore. They seem to keep chugging along. This is the deal. The, the key is. You've got to figure out. You got to set the culture. You know, I hate saying that, but you know, I'm trying to. You know what I mean? Set the tone. What does it mean to be a member of this organization? It's something that has been lacking here for years. Dan Snyder gutted that part of the of the of the roster very early on in his tenure when he got rid of Brian Mitchell and he sort of phased out Daryl Green. Man, Daryl Green was getting up there, but kind of phased him out while he was still there, and you know, just replaced them with a bunch of mercenaries. And they're gonna have to rebuild this roster in different ways, and do it by, you know, setting the tone of what it means to uh, be a member of the Commanders. And I think Dan Quinn is very good for that. Again, we'll see what happens. Who are they going to bring in for this coordinator, not just to run the offense, but help build up this young quarterback? Uh, Assuming that, you know, that's what they do. Or even if it's Sam Howe, right? I mean, how do you how do you make that work? I I really do think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And I, and again, I, I I saw people when, when, when the delay was happening, say new owner, but it's the same situation. Oh my God, it is not the same situation. (laughs) It is not on any level. I am not, that doesn't suggest that Harris and Adam Peters and Dan Quinn are going to all of a sudden, you know, be Joe Gibbs and, uh, Jack Kent Cooke and Bobby Beathard, but it is to say that what they're doing is coming from a place of reasonable thoughts and actions as opposed to, you know, complete frat party nonsense or whatever was happening over there, fantasy football uh, work from ownership and, you know, whoever was running the front office at that point, this isn't that. And I think they made a very adult decision to go with Dan Quinn. I think that if you you just say a young hot shot is the way to go, it might be. But, you know, it's a huge risk. And this was a a theme that was being discussed throughout the last few days. Uh, Who knows? I mean, if Ben Johnson is willing to walk away in the manner in which he did, how can you say he's the right person to definitively lead a bunch of people a bunch of men into action um, in this sport. I don't think you can make that claim. Now, Mike McDonald didn't have these issues. He went through the interview process. He took the Seattle job after having a tremendous year leading the Ravens. Maybe it worked for him. None of us know. With the with the uh, the retread coach, to, to use the, the term, We have a little more information, and that is why people are a bit more scared about Dan Quinn, and I get it. People in the league could be very wrong, but people in the league believe that he is a good one, that Washington got a good one here. So we will see what happens. A lot more to discuss. Uh, We'll do that in the coming days. I'm going to hopefully have my guy John Machoda, uh, the Cowboys insider for The Athletic, back on the podcast to uh, he, he was on with me a week ago. If you want to look, go listen to that, but now that it's happened, get his view of more about what is a Dan Quinn defense, uh, you know, what could we expect from him as a, as a leader for this team? Uh, possible people that he might bring over. Uh, I, I don't know if Micah Parsons is going to join him or not, <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, you know, I don't know how quickly the the interview process will go and in, in turn how quickly Dan Quinn will make decisions about certain coaches even you know the ones on this staff um, that's one thing it's a little interesting to me Dan Quinn has played you know he's coached against Washington now 6 times in the last 3 years he obviously can't can't say he knows them as well as somebody who was in the building but he's got a pretty good look at them and i imagine he has a good feel for not just their talent but the staff as well so he comes into this you know, at least that probably gets a little further ahead than somebody who has been, you know, only sees Washington, you know, every so often. Uh, Like, in theory, like a Ben Johnson would or or a Mike McDonald, you know, that that, that type of um, deal. Um, In terms of the potential coordinators, I mentioned Joe Witt Jr., the uh, secondary coach and and, uh, passing game defensive coordinator guy. Um, On the offensive side... And again, I I don't want to step on my story too much. But there was some news in the air today that Chip Kelly, the current UCLA head coach, he he took Oregon to the national title game back in, like, what, 2011? He then went to the NFL, coached the Eagles for a couple years, coached San Francisco for a year. He's now, again, at UCLA. That there's been some talk that he and Dan Quinn may be hooking up wherever Dan Quinn was going To land, obviously it's here. And when I first started hearing about this, I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, seems kind of odd. But a couple of and and look, Kip Kelly's, he's an innovative coach. He's a smart coach. He hasn't sniffed the same success that he had over a decade ago at Oregon. But he's always been one of those coaches where you're just you can tell people are like, wow, what's he gonna do now? That's pretty interesting. So why would what 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 why would Chip Kelly you know why would you leave being a head coach to to come uh, to the NFL? Well, I think one there's clearly a trend going on of more college coaches looking at the NFL, and I think in part is because the NF the, the college football world is nuts right now with the recruiting, but also the transfer portal. I think it's a lot to to deal with, and I think you know maybe even why say Nick Saban uh, retired. In any event, I spoke to some people about this Chip Kelly as the rumors were really building today. And I was told by one person who uh, you'll say is familiar with the situation is that he wasn't really sure why Chip Kelly was getting as much of attention as as it was. But then I spoke to somebody else um, and was told, hey, I think there's some legs to this Chip Kelly story. So, you know we'll see. It would be a very interesting tip. Kelly's got a lot of run, you know, run heavy, creative run uh, plays. Uh, could that be something with the Jaden Daniels possibly going at number two? Is that something that could be intriguing? I, I don't know. I'm not remotely saying he's the favorite or what's happening, but I, I, I just wanted to share what I had heard there uh, for sure. And by the way, I knew I imagine some of you were wondering what about Eric Biennemi? Um, I don't think Eric Bieniemy is is long for this staff. He does have one year left. He was uh, interviewed for the head coaching position. Uh, I I don't get the I had never I had not gotten the sense that he was a real candidate for that job. That you know they weren't looking at him in that regard. And look, obviously, statistically last year Washington wasn't particularly good. There were questions uh, about the relationship between Bieniemy and the players as we heard from training camp, and then more at the end of the year. So I think they're looking to move on. And he also hasn't really gotten any attention out there from other teams. The only interview that he's had, as far as I know, is the one with Washington. So uh, I don't believe Eric Biennemi will be on the staff next year. However, I don't know what to think of his future. Uh, You know, does somebody bring him on in a different capacity? There are openings, you know, still openings out there for coordinators. Could something change? Maybe, but um at the moment, I don't feel particularly great for his chances of getting a coordinator or higher job, but a lot more in the story about guys that I considered, um including like I said, one sort of a fun wild card that I threw in there. All right, I just realized I talked for over thirty minutes um. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make an executive decision here at the bottom of the, of the podcast. I'm going to hold my interview with Matt because I think I'm going to have another interview tomorrow. And maybe I can uh, put those out and give you guys a little extra, if not for uh, Friday, then for, for Monday. Because obviously I need to make up some, some podcasts here with you guys. That's that's the rule. I, I talk, you listen and download and say nice things about the podcast on iTunes or uh, wherever you do your podcasting. Um, so I'm going to do that. I'm just going to call it here, and we'll get back to Matt later on. So, you know, I'm like Jimmy Kimmel saying, sorry, Matt Damon, we ran out of time. I'll have Matt's segment on later uh, for sure. But an eventful day here with the Commanders. Dan Quinn, the new head coach. Um, you know, look, I again, you go back to where this all started back in, like, late December. You know, we start – looking at lists and people were discussing it and you know in sort of the normal coach category not Belichick that's like a whole separate thing not even Jim Harbaugh maybe not even Mike Vrabel Um, by the way if you're wondering what happened to Mike Vrabel I don't know other than Adam Peters and Rand Carthon the Titans new GM not new this year but he was first year GM worked together in San Fran the, t- the Tennessee ownership decided Mike Vrabel needed to go, and it seemed in part because there was some friction between Vrabel and the front office. So they sided with the front office. I imagine if, if that's accurate, then Adam Peters has heard probably some negative things about a guy like Vrabel. Uh, and look who he it looks like he's getting shut out altogether. Um, and, you know, I, I've told you a long time, it doesn't the Belichick thing never made any sense to me. Because, um, you know, the, Washington is looking for a long-term play. Belichick is trying to catch Don Shula's record. It's the definition of a short-term deal. I think one of the reasons Atlanta ultimately passed on the Belichick thing was how much they were going to have to make changes with their staff, and who was having control, and possibly for what—a a, a shake-up. And two years later, you may have to start over. Uh, you know, so I think that if that wasn't appealing to them and other teams as well. And I would imagine it wasn't appealing to Washington. I surely, they had a discussion. Hey, what about Bill Belichick? He's arguably the greatest coach ever. Should we consider him? Okay, well, and then they say what I just said about the long-term versus the short-term. And then they move on to other topics. Maybe they move on to what they're having for dinner or uh, other coaches. I don't want to be disrespectful of Belichick. Great coach. It is what it is at this time. Uh, By the way, as for the Senior Bowl, uh, obviously we'll we'll have a lot more to discuss. I I was I I did have a chance to talk to several players while I was there, including Patrick Paul, the younger brother, but a massive human being. Uh, The younger brother of uh, offensive lineman Chris Paul. Uh, Chris Paul was a seventh-round pick. Patrick Paul, it looks like he could go pretty early in like day two of the draft. I don't, you know, we'll see if he has upside. To go one, a very interesting young man. I did talk to him, and I'll probably eventually have something on that um, down the line. Uh, But there was, you know, I'll have some, some guests on about the Senior Bowl and the draft to get you a better feel. As I said, day one, Ben Johnson distracted me from watching. Day two is Mike McDonald. And then today, Dan Quinn gets hired as Commander's head coach. The journey begins now he's got to pick a staff, then we talk free agency, then we get to the draft, and then uh, we sit back and look and see where this team is at. All right, uh, before we get out of here, I did ask on Twitter today, or X, to throw me some of your questions. I figured a lot of people had some comments and thoughts or, or wonders now, so I did want to answer a few of these uh, for sure. i probably can get to some more of these on uh, the next podcast. You guys did great here. Um all right, couple of, uh, let's see here, What's, what are some good ones? Um, so this one's talking about possible c- coordinator candidates for Dan Quinn uh, at DMV Commanders. Do you think Al Harris is the D.C. candidate he'll want? And what O.C. could we maybe get with Quinn? So there's actually like three or four guys on Dallas that seem like possible options. I already talked before about... Um, wit and, and where that could possibly go. But there's a few, and Al Harris is one of them, a, a defensive back coach, former player. But we'll see. I think a lot, you know, I'm not going to underestimate Jerry Jones wanting to keep someone. Uh, so we'll see what he does there. But, um, you know, in terms of what OC could Quinn bring, it's sort of an interesting case. There really isn't anyone on Dallas that that is like sort of a, even a borderline obvious candidate. Mike McCarthy calls the plays. He's the head coach. Brian Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator. Now, I did include him on the list I put up on the website, but I, Brian Schottenheimer has a very spotty career, to say the least. So I don't see that being a real thing. But, um, you know, I, depending on what his relationship with Quinn was, you know, I I, I, I left it there. So I don't, I mean, obviously, I, I there's a lot of potential candidates, but there wasn't like a ton of obvious names. And again, when he's... When Atlanta, all the guys he was with are guys who are the head coaches now—Kyle Shanahan, Lafleur, uh, McDaniel, etc.—so it's not like anybody obvious there to target. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what he chooses to do um, with his staff. All right, uh, at Skins, no matter one, does this hire change their second pick in draft thinking? Uh, I'm gonna say no. I don't think it really does um, at all, right? The um, again, first of all, Adam Peters has say over personnel, so I, I don't see how that matters. You know, the the idea that they had they would take a quarterback at two is what spurred on so much of the Ben Johnson conversation, obviously. But it doesn't change the organizational needs. They're not all of a sudden gonna draft. pass rusher at two. There really aren't any projected there anyway, but so no, I don't think it changes anything. I do wonder though, if the offensive coordinator hire tells us anything, um, you know, if you get, uh, someone from, you know, West coast system or someone where, you know, you've got, you know, wants more RPOs or more run heavy kind of a situation. Could that change things? But No, I don't think it changes the idea that they would take a quarterback at two. But again, let's see what happens here with who they actually hire uh, at Josh Linwood. What is the ETA on the introductory press conference for Dan Quinn? Again, my understanding is Monday. It is Super Bowl week. The league typically doesn't want teams, you know, sort of hogging up uh, the conversation over the big game. So uh, Monday, get it done, get started, and then go from there. Also, which player do you think benefits the most from this hiring? I, I kind of, you know, I, I kind of wonder if it's not the two tackles, John Allen and Deron Payne. You know, look, obviously neither one of them had the, a Pro Bowl caliber year. Payne's sack numbers were way off uh, from where they were the year before. You know, if Dan Quinn is the leader, the culture guy that people talk about, you know, then he should be able to get more out of them. And look, Dallas's defense has been tremendous the last, uh, you know, three years. So, you know, I, you know, I could maybe guess Jamin Davis. Could there be some more extra? You know, could this be a coach that, that is able to sort of, you know, tap into that athleticism and and, and get more out of it? Perhaps. You know, um, you know, are there are there guys in the secondary? who, again, you know, sort of took a step back last year, who are going to benefit. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I, I would probably just say John Allen, Jerron Payne for now. Um, at DC Sports underscore talk, when's the first 2024 standing mock draft coming out? Man, I tell you what, um, I'd be lying if I said it's coming out anytime soon. I, you know, all this whole situation with the coaching and, and the GM has really set me back. In terms of any kind of prep, you know, this last whole month, I would normally start in on my own work, and it's just really been hard to do. I mean, the being at the Senior Bowl helped me a little bit, for sure, but uh, I got a ways to go. So um, I'm looking forward to getting past a couple of these co-coordinator hires and then diving in to the draft and free agency. Uh, at Well, so Carlos Espinoza asks... Since Anthony Weaver is the D-line coach in Baltimore, would he be a good fit for D- for D.C. and D.C.? Considering that Quinn is a defensive guy and can oversee the defense. Um, okay, so Anthony Weaver was one of the, you know, basically final candidates, right? You had Quinn, you had Anthony Weaver, and you had Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. They also had talked to Eric Bietamie. I don't know. It was hard for me to see that Weaver would be the guy... Um, You know, he has been a D.C. before with the the Texans. and It was pretty much a disaster. Again, a a lot of people say a lot of good things about him. He's part of this Ravens defense. But um, I don't know. The only way maybe he could be the D.C. or somebody like that would be because Dan Quinn is there. I don't know if Dan Quinn's going to have the play calling. But, like, you have sort of that natural overseer there. Whereas, like, if it's, you know, an offensive coach, maybe that's a little more. Complicated. But, you know, at the moment, I'm guessing it's going to be one of the Dallas uh, coaches uh, that would come over. Uh, let me see if I got one more here. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people are just asking about the OC at Skins No Ma- Oh, another one at Skins No Matter One. I need a little list of OC possible hires you like and who they like. Well, okay. I'll, I'll just spoil some of this story. Um, this isn't, I'm not saying who they like per se, but I already mentioned the chip Kelly thing. Uh, two guys in San Francisco, uh, Brian Greasy, quarterback coach and Clint Kubiak, who's, uh, you know, part of the passing game offense. He was a OC one year with the Vikings in 2018. Um, Rick Spielman was the Vikings GM. Then he's part of the search committee. Now, uh, Kubiak's gotten interviewed. Both of these guys have gotten interviews with the the Saints. And, you know, people want coaches off that whole Shanahan and McVay situation. So that's where these guys would come in. I've been intrigued by Brian Greasy this whole time. But I was kind of intrigued in the sense of, like, if you were going to have a Ben Johnson type guy, then maybe Greasy is the OC, non-play caller, but he's helping you develop your quarterback. He did that with the 49ers. But... Um, I don't know, you know, he hasn't called play. So it is a little bit of a risk, obviously, in that regard. Uh, Kubiak, you know, he's been up for a couple of these jobs. I think he, he was also for the Patriots. Didn't happen. Is is it not happening? Because he's kind of waiting for Washington. Um, I, it's hard to say. Obviously, Kubiak, he is the son of former NFL coach and, and another, you know, smart offensive mind, Gary Kubiak. So possibly the apple didn't fall, fall far from the tree. And, you know, he is, I think turns 37 this month. It would give you that young upstart or up and coming coordinator to get excited about. So maybe that's a consolation prize for those of you who are all in on Johnson. Um, so a couple, couple names there that I think are, uh, are interesting for sure. All right. I'll answer some more questions um, next time out. I promise. Uh, but I need to call a day here. So that is it for now. Thanks for listening to me here ramble on about what was an eventful, um, time here at the end of, um, at the end of this, uh, coaching search. What a week it was. Um, more to come, but for now, Ben Standing signing off until next time. See ya.